Good morning, loved ones. I'm so happy to be able to join with you for this time of digital worship. I pray that wherever you are today, this will be a, a meaningful time and it'll be a time in which you feel the Lord's spirit just uh, move in you and charge you up for the week ahead. Won't you join me now in a time of prayer and then we will jump right back into Matthew chapter four. Father God, Lord, it is so good for us to be able to have this time to study your word. Lord, I pray that you will just open our ears and open our hearts. Father, I pray that you will just increase our belief and increase our understanding so that we might be more obedient and faithful to you. Lord, we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. And so when we left off last week, loved ones, we saw where Jesus had moved to Capernaum by the sea and where he was beginning his ministry in Galilee and how he was fulfilling that prophecy that the prophet Isaiah spoke about, about the light coming to Galilee. And we saw where King Jesus was doing just that, how he was in Galilee and he was preaching and telling everyone who would listen to repent for the kingdom of heaven was near. And so today we're going to move into the next scene in Matthew chapter 4, the next scene that Matthew presents to us. And here we're going to see where Jesus begins recruiting laborers for the kingdom. He begins calling individuals to follow him and to learn from him, uh, to learn how to be the new humanity that he has come to make us into. And today we're going to look at Matthew's calling of the first disciples. And this is a familiar passage to us. But as we look at this scene today, I want you to keep a certain question in the back of your mind. I want you to be thinking about something. And as we look at this scene in which Jesus calls his first followers, I want you to ask yourself this question. Does a king make requests? Would a king simply just ask someone to do something and then hope that they do that? Or would a king instead issue a command? And what we see today is the founding of the first messianic community. It's going to be the foundation of the very church itself. And in this passage today, we're going to see where Jesus issues four commands. We're going to see a command to follow, a command to community, a command to discipleship, and lastly, we'll see a command to respond. And as we examine these commands and how this scene unfolds, we have to understand that today we are responsible for handling these same commands today. And we have to grapple with how we are obeying these commands today. So join me now. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 18 through 22. Matthew 4, beginning in verse 18. And it says this, as he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, Follow me, and I will turn you into fishers of people. They left their nets immediately and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and a bet with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. Then he called to them. They immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. 
And Matthew begins this narrative today by telling us that Jesus was walking around the Sea of Galilee. And there he comes across two brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew. And then after the encounter with Peter and Andrew, Jesus encounters two other brothers, James and John. And now each of the four gospel accounts presents this narrative in a unique way. Each account of the calling of the first disciples uh, has a unique perspective, a unique spin that they put on it, and it's intentional. Those uh, stories are, are presented to us to fit the narrative and the scope of the respective gospels that we find them in. But here in Matthew's gospel, we see that he gives us a very bare bones account of this calling of the first disciples. We're told that Peter and Andrew are fishermen and that Jesus encountered them as they were tossing their net into the sea. They were casting their nets. And just an interesting piece of trivia there, the Greek word there for net uh, is talking about a small circular net that you would use from the shore. You would stand in the surf, you would toss the net out into uh, the shallow water, and then you would bring it back in to haul in the catch. And we see nearly this same scene repeated uh, when we encounter James and John. They are sitting in their father's boat, mending their nets, a different word there. It's talking about a much bigger kind of a drag net, and they're repairing and preparing their nets for the upcoming day's work. And there in verse 19, Jesus approaches Peter and Andrew, and he issues his first command. He says, follow me. Now, one thing we need to remember is this. In this time and in this culture, it was common practice. It was not unusual for men to devote themselves to learning from wise and learned rabbis. Uh, it was not uncommon for rabbis to have students who would literally follow them everywhere that they went to listen to and learn from the rabbi as he was teaching and explaining the ends and the outs of the scripture and the law. And in some very extreme instances, these students would literally try to walk in the rabbi's footsteps and mimic his gait as they tried to mimic everything else that he uh, was teaching them. But here's one critical and one very unique difference between these other rabbis and Jesus. These other rabbis would never dream of going out and rounding up people to follow them. They would never dream of going out and searching for students, for disciples to follow them. Instead, they would rely on their reputation and their notoriety and their popularity to attract students to them. But Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't come in and blow his own horn. He doesn't go around letting everybody know that he's the son of God and that they should follow him. Jesus simply and humbly goes and seeks people out. He goes searching for people to follow him. But even though Jesus is searching humbly for people to follow him, the very phrase, follow me, is not a request. This is a command. 
Charles Spurgeon, the famous uh, English Baptist preacher of the middle and late uh, 19th century, he said that this is an imperial summons. This is a command from a king, and it carries weight because it comes from someone of authority. And so we need to ask an obvious question at this point, and that is this. What does it mean to follow? Jesus called these men to follow him. Today, we say that we follow Jesus. But what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that we recognize that Jesus is worth following. We recognize that he has an authority that we lack and we submit to that. We understand uh, the, our place in relation to him. He is superior to us and we follow him. He leads us because he is superior to us. And along with that recognition of and that submission to Jesus's authority, following Jesus means that we listen to him and we learn from him and we obey him. If Jesus has authority over us, if we have submitted to that authority, then we had better pay attention to what he says. But we can't only be hearers of the word. We can't just listen to what he says. We must also act upon that. We must obey him. And I'm going to say that again because I think it's so obvious to us, or maybe we've just heard it for so long that we don't really pay attention to it. But we must not only listen to what Jesus says, we must also obey him. And if we are serious, about, <coughs> excuse me, if we are serious about following Jesus, then we must also be serious about obedience. And when it comes to applying what Jesus says to us, what he teaches us uh, about our lives, we can't say, well, Jesus, that seems kind of outdated. Jesus, that seems somewhat difficult. What I think you mean here, Jesus, is that I should do this, and this is what I would rather do. Following Jesus means obeying Jesus. And obeying Jesus means that we take our desires and our wants and what we think we should do, and we make all of that secondary to what he has commanded us. Because if we have submitted to him and to his authority, uh, we recognize that what he says carries weight and that it is an, a command that we have to follow. And Jesus himself provides for us a perfect model of obedience. He demonstrated to us exactly in his life how we are to live. And I want you to think about this for a second. Do you think that Jesus wanted to die? Do you think he wanted to endure the agony and the suffering and the pain that he was going to go through? No, of course he didn't. And we know that he didn't want to. Remember the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. There, just before he is betrayed and arrested, Jesus is praying. He's praying so fervently and with so much uh, emotion and stress that he's sweating drops of blood. And there he says, Father, if there is a, another way, if there is any other way we can do this so that I don't have to go through all of this, Let's do it. 
But then he follows that up with, but whatever your will is, Father, let's do that. Do your will and not mine. Even then, right on the brink of everything that's going to happen, right when he knows his life is going to be ripped away from him, Jesus was obedient. And he said, let your will be done and not mine. And if we are serious about following Jesus, then we must do the same. With each and every breath we take every day, we must continually say, Jesus, let your will be done and not mine. And now let's move on to the second command that we see here, a command to community. And this scene is rather unique in Matthew's gospel, uh, at least as far as, as we've gotten to this point. Because up until this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been operating alone. He showed up alone to John to be baptized, and then he went out into the wilderness uh, alone for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he moved to Capernaum alone, and he began preaching alone. But what do we see Jesus doing here? He's calling people to follow him. He is forming a community. And in fact, from this point forward, we will not see Jesus appear in Matthew's gospel alone until the scene in Gethsemane where he is arrested and the disciples uh, flee and, and desert him. From this point forward until Gethsemane, Jesus will not appear alone. His disciples' presence is either specifically mentioned or it is assumed. And here, in this passage in Matthew 4, the disciples that Jesus is calling, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they are going to be his inner circle. These disciples are going to be with Jesus uh, until the very end in Gethsemane. They're going to be the ones who appear in most of the stories that we are going to look at. And in many ways, these four disciples are going to be Jesus's closest confidants. And so here we see Jesus forming the ecclesia, a community. That word ecclesia is Greek, and it means a community of people who have something in common. And it's that same word, ecclesia, that we translate into the English word church. Think of like ecclesiastical things, church things. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because the church is a community of people who have something in common. They share the fact that they have submitted to and are following Jesus. But why does Jesus do this? Why does he take time to find followers and to form a community? Certainly, Jesus could have come and done everything that he needed to do alone. Certainly, he didn't need to form a community. But once again, we see Jesus modeling for us how we are to live and how we are to operate. 
We have to remember that we, as humans, we are relational creatures. We are designed by God to have relationships. We are designed to have relationships with other humans, both in terms of uh, intimate, loving relationships and also in terms of friendships. And we're also designed by God to have a relationship with him. This is how we are made. And we do not do well in isolation. We don't do well when we are by ourselves. We don't do well when we are lacking the relationships, either with other people or with God, that we are designed to have. And here with Jesus, we see God taking the initiative. We see God pursuing the relationship with us. God is showing us that he doesn't want us to go through this alone. He wants us to have a relationship with him, and he also wants us to have a relationship with other people who are in a relationship with him. God is showing us, Jesus is showing us by forming a community that we must join together with other God-loving people. We must come together and nurture community with fellow believers. We must be there for each other. We must shoulder one another's burdens. And though Jesus doesn't explicitly hear say we have to join together and have community with one another, the mere fact that he took the time to form this community shows us that it's important and vital for us. And because of that, we have to take every initiative to join together with other believers. We have to take the gathering together, the coming together, being together, community. We have to take all of that seriously. Now let's move on and take a look at verse 19. And there Jesus says to Peter and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Follow me and I will show you how to catch people. And what exactly is Jesus talking about here? Of course, we know that he's talking about teaching people about the gospel and spreading the good news to other people uh, and, and teaching them about God and how to have a right relationship uh, with him. We know that there is an evangelistic component here, but I want you to, for a moment, pretend like you don't already know that. Jesus is here. He's calling on Peter and Andrew, and he's telling them to follow him and to learn something new. Now, this used to be something that we saw people do a lot. There used to be a process in which someone would go and learn from an individual uh, who was very skilled in a trade or a craft, they would go and learn from that person how to do that same thing. A student would shadow a master craftsman or someone very skilled in a trade, in a profession, and they would learn from that master how to do that same trade. And eventually, the student would learn enough that they would be able to make a living in that trade on their own. And this was called an apprenticeship. The apprentice, the student, would learn a skill or a trade or a craft from a master, and then they would go on to have a career in that same profession. And is that not what we see 
Jesus calling Peter and Andrew to do here? Isn't he, in a way, saying, hey, fellas, I see you know how to catch fish, but follow me and I'll teach you how to do something new. Come apprentice under me and I will teach you how to do something new. And we still have apprenticeship in church today. We don't call it apprenticeship. We call it discipleship. And this is supposed to be a very vital component of what the church does. And so let me ask you this. What is discipleship? Well, it's the process of learning how to be a better follower of Christ. It's committing to following Christ. It's committing to learning from him, to obeying him, to growing closer to him every day. But do we just take all that knowledge and absorb it and just kind of sit on it and keep it to ourselves? No, we don't do that at all. We take this knowledge that we have learned, we take these experiences that we have, and we share them with other people to help them become better followers of Christ as well. We use it to catch people, to share it with others, to teach others how to be disciples themselves. And let me ask you another question. Whose job is it to do discipleship? And wherever you are today, the correct answer is it's all of ours. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the youth director's job. It is everybody's job. We all have to be committed to making disciples. And if you say that you follow Jesus, then this is a direct order that he has given to you. He says it here for the first time in Matthew 4, 19. And then Jesus is going to say it again with much more emphasis at the very end of Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus is going to say, therefore, go into all nations and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Discipleship is what should be at the heart of the church's business. We all learn how to be better followers of Christ, and then we teach others how to do the same thing. And then they, in turn, teach others, and the process keeps going from there and there and there. And that is the beauty of this. And what's more is, consider this, if we were all in church together, in the same room together, would we all be in the same place in our lives? Would we all be in the same uh, level in our spiritual growth and development? No, of course not. Some of us have grown a lot more than others. Some of us are stumbling and tripping over things. And so the purpose and the point of discipleship is for those older, more mature, more seasoned, more learned believers to take those younger, struggling, immature believers under their wing and to help them grow. And then when those immature believers become mature, they're able to do the same thing. Yes, we have to get people to church. Yes, we have to invite them to church. We have to get them in the building with us. But getting them in the building is not the end. Of, that's not the goal. That is just the 
beginning. Once we have people in the building with us, we have to teach them how to grow, how to become a better follower of Jesus. We have to disciple them so they can begin to disciple others. And that is an all hands on deck job. And while we're on this topic of fishing for people, let's just ask another obvious question. Why does Jesus say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people? We don't talk about fish a lot in this scripture. Why doesn't Jesus use another one of those more familiar uh, biblical images? Why doesn't he say, follow me and I'll make you shepherds of people? Follow me and I'll show you how to uh, grow a vine of believers. Why, why fish? That seems kind of out of left field. Well, remember where Jesus is right now. He's in Galilee. Galilee has a booming fish industry. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. He encounters Peter and Andrew, James and John. These men are all fishermen. Jesus is meeting these men where they are, and he's speaking to them in terms that they understand. Matter of fact, just a funny uh, piece of information here. We know from elsewhere in the Gospels that Peter and Andrew are from a town called Bethsaida. And Bethsaida literally translated into English means fish town. And so Jesus is using the language and images that people understood. He's meeting them where they are to convey his message to them. But there is scriptural precedent for this fishing metaphor. Uh, and let me share that with you just briefly. In Jeremiah 16, God is warning Israel that they are going to go into exile. And in Jeremiah 16, 16, God says this, I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. Jesus, uh, God is there saying that he's going to send fishermen to round up the wayward pe people of Israel and to send them into exile. Did you hear that? God said he's going to send fishermen to catch the people to send them into exile. And here in Matthew 4, we see Jesus reversing that. Jesus is calling on these men to come be fishers of people, not so they can catch them and send them into punishment, but rather so they can catch them and save them from punishment. They can save them from exile, and they can catch these people and bring them into the kingdom of heaven. How beautiful is that? And what's even more incredible is this. This is the same task that you and I are commissioned to today. And because Jesus put so much emphasis on it, we must take it very seriously. Now, in closing, I want us to look at verses 20 and 22. And Matthew gives us a very interesting detail here. It's very uncommon for Matthew to use a word like immediately. Matthew doesn't use a lot of describing words like that in his writing. But here in verse 20 and 22, we see the word immediately appear two times. Jesus called to Peter and Andrew, and immediately they dropped what they were doing and they followed him. A few moments later, Jesus encounters James and John. He calls to them, and immediately they leave their nets, they leave their father, and they follow Jesus. 
And we see here that Jesus issued a command to these men. And a command demands a response. And there are only two ways that you can respond to a command. You can either obey or you can disobey. And as Peter and Andrew, James and John showed us, obedience requires devotion. It requires sacrifice. Following Jesus means taking that commitment and making it the priority of our lives. It means making Jesus the main focus of our lives. Now, does that mean that we walk away from our families, that we walk away from our jobs? Well, no, not necessarily. But following Jesus does mean that we live differently. It requires a complete lifestyle change. And what that looks like from person to person might vary. If a person is living a sinful life and has a sinful job, then yes, following Jesus means they leave that job, they leave that way of life, and they do something different. But just to speak in very general terms, following Jesus means that, number one, we don't hold on to our sins and our vices, that we get rid of those things. It means that we don't commit to things, no matter how good they might be, if they interfere with our discipleship. It might mean, okay, we don't commit to doing uh, travel sports or something like that if it's going to take us out of church. It might mean we don't do things that are going to interfere and make, have a conflict with our commitment to Christ. It means that we live and act as the same people that we are on Sunday morning, Monday through Saturday night. Following Jesus means that we recognize that we represent him everywhere we go and in everything we do. And because of that, because everything we do reflects upon Christ, that means that we strive to be the best spouses, the best parents, the best children, the best grandparents, the best employees, the best employers, whatever it is. It means we strive to be the best that we can be. And it also means that every day when we wake up, we don't focus on pursuing the things of the world. We don't focus on pursuing our wants and our desires. We don't focus on acquiring our ideal life. Instead, obeying Jesus and following him means that we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and we trust in God to take care of everything else for us. But we have to remember this. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. There is no substitute for obedience. One of my heroes in the faith, a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer, once said that worship is no substitute for obedience and how true that is. We can show up to church all we want. We can give all the money we want. We can volunteer all we want. We can worship all we want, but all of that is for nothing if we are not backing it up with lives that are rooted in obedience to Christ.
And so in this passage today, Matthew makes it incredibly clear to us that King Jesus is issuing commands to these believers in Christ. And those commands are ones that we must heed and wrestle with and obey today. We saw where Jesus commanded Peter and Andrew, James and John to follow him, to join together in community with him, to be discipled by him, and he commanded them to respond in obedience. These same commands are on the table for us today, and so we need to be honest. We need to examine ourselves. We need to ask the tough questions. Who are you? Who am I? following today? Are we even following anyone or anything? Are we following Jesus, but in reality, are we telling Jesus what we are willing to do and what we won't do? Or are we following the world and trying to acquire what we think is best for us? And if any of that is the case, we have to remember and understand that we can't do that and follow Christ at the same time? Are we committed to community? Are we committed to being together and to joining together and to growing together? Or are we trying to be a lone wolf and to go it alone and just to get through this world on our, on our own strength? And yes, I understand things are crazy right now. We haven't really been able to do church in, in, in nearly a year now. And the way we do church is a lot different than how we did it uh, before all of this came. But how important have we learned because of this? How important is being together? How important is community? And are we taking that seriously? We have to understand we can't go it alone. We can't grow by ourselves. We can't make it without each other. So are we committed to coming together with one another? And with that, are we committed to growing in Christ, to being apprenticed, to being discipled? Or is discipleship important to us? And are we making disciples? We can't forget that that is the main reason why we are here today. We are here to catch people, to bring them to Christ, to show them how to come into the kingdom of God. And if we are not doing that, then shame on us. And lastly, we can't forget that Christ has given us commands. So how are we responding to them? Are we obeying him? Are we making Christ our priority? Is he our main focus? Are we seeking to be more and more like him each and every day? Are we obeying Christ or are we disobeying him? Because loved ones, those are the only two options. And if we are committed to following King Jesus, then we must also be committed to obedience. For Christ was committed to obedience, and he expects and he demands nothing less from us. Loved ones, would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for these calls, for these commands that you have put on our life. And Lord, I pray that you will help us 
to follow each of these in obedience, to humble ourselves to following you, to seeking to be more and more like you, to making you the main priority of our lives, Lord, and in turn to committing ourselves to community with other believers, to growing together, to discipling together, and to go responding in every uh, way, everything that we do each and every day, Father, responding to you in obedience. Lord, help us to be better. Help us to be the people you have called us to be. Help us to be actively working, Lord, catching people, showing them the beauty and the hope of the gospel, and catching them and reeling them in, Lord, to the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for Christ, and we pray this in his name. Amen.